everyone. Welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian. I pastor that location, and it's good to talk to you again. You know, I think for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we can have a tough time figuring out what we are supposed to say about Jesus in conversations with those who do not believe. How in today's world, where people seem so divided, are we supposed to talk lovingly about who Jesus Christ is? Well, today we're going to encounter a man who also lived in a divided world. And I think that's a great example for you and for me, how we can talk to others about Jesus who we serve. So I hope you'll enjoy this and I hope you'll listen closely because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. I'm going to tell you something that I think that you're aware of. My guess is that you're very aware of what I'm about to say, that you're not unaware of this, that this is something that you're experiencing. It's something that I'm experiencing. This week, with it being 4th of July and Independence Day and all that fun stuff, we'll eat a lot of red meat and blow things up. That's what we do to celebrate around here. And so you'll hear maybe a lot this week about the things that unite us as a nation. And maybe this isn't home for you. The United States is not home, but you're living here now. And that's maybe some of the language that you'll hear is what unites us. But in our world on a day-to-day basis, I think you probably have noticed this and I've noticed it as well, we are much more focused these days on what divides us than what unites us, aren't we? And it's from the very silly to the very serious People choose sides these days, don't they? And, and we're very uh, confident in the sides that we choose. And we have a hard time uh, dealing with people that don't agree fully with what we say. And we don't agree fully with what they say. I think this is something that we're all noticing in our culture, right? That this is happening more and more, not less. And it can be something that's very silly. Something like this can dominate the news for a couple of weeks. People can listen to a sound clip and ask the world, do you hear Laurel? Do you hear Yanny? And that divides us. And people get upset about this. This is a big deal. This this, uh, led the news for a few days at least. And we pick sides. And it, it happens with the very silly, but it also happens with the very serious, doesn't it? The big issues of our day, people seem to know what they believe, and with things like social media, it becomes very easy to throw uh, uh, angry rhetoric or whatever it is across to other people. It doesn't just happen with the issues of our day, it happens with Jesus as well, doesn't it? So in the midst of all of this, the sides are drawn as well when it comes to things like church and when it comes to things like Jesus. And if you're someone that follows Jesus, if you're sitting here this morning and you're someone that follows Jesus, maybe you feel the same way I do in the midst of all of this. You watch all the language and you watch things being thrown from one side to the other side and you say to yourself, well, if I think Jesus is who he says he is and and I follow him with my life, then I probably should be willing to say something. Being silent all the time isn't a good idea. I probably should be willing to say something. But when I watch the language that's passed back and forth from one side to the other on different issues, I say to myself, but I don't want to sound like that. And I don't know if you feel that way too. I I want to speak up. I I want to be able to say something, especially about Jesus, who I believe and I follow with my life. 
But I look at the anger and I look at the, the language and I look at the rhetoric and I say, but I don't think I want to sound like that. I don't think that's the type of language that I want to use. And what happens is I think for many of us, we end up staying silent on the issue altogether so that we don't encounter the anger back from people if we were to stand up for what we believe, or, or so that we don't put ourselves out there maybe as someone who appears hateful or angry. We just stay silent altogether. And the big question that I've been thinking about as I've rethought about this passage in John 9 this week, and the big question that, that I want to bring to you this morning is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if that's who you say you are, you're a Christian, you're someone that follows Jesus, how in the world are you and I supposed to talk about Jesus in this world in which we live where there's so much angry rhetoric and so much back and forth? How do we talk about him without getting caught up in all of that? What are we to say? I think many of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, I think we feel very ill-equipped to speak up because other people seem so informed, don't they? Other people seem so knowledgeable. And so the fear is if I speak up, one, I might, I might come across as hateful or angry, which I don't want to do. And two, if someone who's more informed than me fires something back, well, then what in the world am I supposed to say then? And so we end up staying quiet. In this passage we're going to look at this morning, there's many different ways that we could look at this, but... The way we're going to look at it this morning is we're going to look at one man who I think gives you and me a great example of how we can talk about what it means to follow Jesus in a world where divisions are drawn and people are divided. We're going to look at a man that's living in a culture not unlike ours, where there's some serious divisions, and it's a culture where you're either for us or against us. Have you noticed that about our world today? You're either all in on an opinion or you're all out. There's very little middle ground. It's hard to hold a middle position. And that's how this culture was operating around Jesus. And so Jesus then becomes this divisive figure. And this one man is thrust into the center of it all. And he is forced to talk about Jesus, who he has just met. And I think what he says is a great example for you and for me as to how we can talk about Jesus Christ as well. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus, if you remember, has recently been in the temple in Jerusalem and celebrating something called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And you'll have to go back two weeks if you want to learn more about that. But now Jesus is leaving the temple. He's walking out of the temple. And as he does, this is what happens. Look at John chapter 9, verse 1. John writes, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So Jesus is walking out of the temple and his 12 disciples are following him and there's a man that's sitting by the temple who was born blind. And my guess is this is someone that the people had seen multiple times, that he was probably in his same position where he would sit and where he would beg. And the disciples just go to Jesus and they say what was common thought at the time. The common thought was if life is going bad for someone, they've clearly done something to make God angry. I think sometimes we think this way. 
that when life is difficult and things happen in a certain way, we wonder what we must have done to make God mad at us. And when life is going good, God must like us. And so it was the same way that they were thinking. Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that were born blind? Because clearly someone sinned here for him to have been born without sight. That was the common idea of the day. And Jesus does what he does pretty regularly with his disciples. And that is he takes what they think they know about God and turns it on its head. And he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned for this to happen in his life. No one sinned. It is what it is. But this has happened so that God's works might be displayed in his life. This isn't the main point of the sermon this morning, but I want you to hear this this morning. I don't know what you're walking through or what brings pain into your life right now, but I do know this. And this is hard to believe when you're in the middle of it. This is much easier to believe on the other side of difficulty. But when you're in the middle of it, when you still feel like the blind beggar outside of the temple asking people for change, when you feel like that's your position in life, this is hard to hear, but when you're on the other side, you know it's true. Whatever pain is in your life, whatever difficulty you're walking through, if you will allow God to use it, he will use it for his purpose and his glory. And I know that that's difficult to hear when you're in the middle of it. But those of us who God has brought us through something can look back and see how God has done his best work. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're in the middle of it, I hope you'll be encouraged. It's not that God is necessarily angry, but God will use it for his glory if you will allow him to. And so Jesus then turns to his disciples and says, this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So now think about this. Jesus says, this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. And then he says to his disciples, I am the light of the world. And Jesus is actually repeating something that he already said in the chapter before when he declared to many people that he was the light of the world. If you were with us two weeks ago, we talked about this line where Jesus stood up in the temple and said, come, those who are thirsty, and drink from me. And we said, well, in the middle of this Feast of Tabernacles celebration that everyone would have been celebrating, there was a temple ritual called the water ritual. And the people were, were celebrating that God provides water both physically and spiritually, that God nourishes. And so Jesus stands up and says, come, all who are thirsty, and drink from me. And basically, he stands up and says, you know the God you're worshiping? That's me. Well, as a part of the Feast of Tabernacles as well, there was not just the water ritual, there was something else the people celebrated. They would erect four giant torches, think Olympic torch size, 75 feet in the air. And the details of all of these things and how they were to be built were recorded. And the people raised up these torches and they would light them on fire. The torches were out in one of the courtyards in the temple. They would light them up on fire and they were reminders, if you remember the old story of God's people walking through the desert, of how God led his people through the desert by a pillar of fire. But you can imagine these massive, these massive torches that when they were lit up in a world with no electricity and no outside light source, that they would light up the temple and they would light up the courtyard. 
Well, Jesus, in the same way he said, come to me all who are thirsty and drink from me, he says and he stands up, I am the light of the world. And once again, he's saying to them, you see these torches and what they represent? The God who led your people? That is me. And so he reminds his disciples, I am the light of the world. And then he very literally opens up this guy's eyes and brings light to his life for the very first time. Now, you would think if you were standing there and you saw this happen, that everybody would be on Jesus' side, right? I mean, what else does the guy have to do? If I was standing there and I saw this man blind from birth and I saw another man put mud on his eyes and wash it off and he could now see, and I was 100% sure I knew this man before and now he could see, that seems to me to be all the evidence that you would need then now everybody would be on Jesus' side, that the world would no longer be divided. They would all be willing to follow this guy because look what he is able to do. Well, such is not the case, as you might guess. Look what happens here next after Jesus performs this miracle. The neighbors, the neighbors, neighbors always have opinions on things, don't they? And they love to share them. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. And others said, no, it's just like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind Now, the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders. They're the ones that have the last say. And so the people are confused about this. They bring the man to the Pharisees, and this is what happens. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. They're talking about Jesus there. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who has received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? Now you think if anyone's going to stand behind this guy, surely his mom and dad would be fired up about this. I would be. Wouldn't you be excited if this was your child? Watch what the parents of the year do here. His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. You would think that Jesus would do something like heal a man born blind and that anyone that was around it, anyone that experienced this, might say, all right, we're in. This guy is unlike anyone we've ever encountered before. But here's what happens when light shines into dark places. 
It's kind of like when you're behind the wheel of a car on a dark road or you're standing outside of the car on the side of the road. You see, when light shines into dark places, if you're aligned with the light, if you're behind the light, the light illuminates your path and allows you to see clearly. But if you're outside of the light, standing against the light, all the light does is blind you and cause you not to see clearly at all. Do you understand what I mean? It's like when a, when a soldier or a police officer goes into a dark space and they have their weapon drawn, but they also have a flashlight. The flashlight illuminates their ability to see, but hopefully in some way too, it also blinds the ability of whoever is inside that dark place to see back at them. When you're aligned with light, it helps you to see clearly. When you're, ju- when you're against the light, all it does is blind you from seeing clearly. And the thing that happens with Jesus, who is the light of the world, is when he shines into dark places, people become divided. Some who are aligned with Jesus are able to see clearly, and others who stand opposed to him are only blinded by the light. So for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we agree 100%. When someone like C.S. Lewis says this, he says, C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And we, if you're someone that follows Jesus, you know what this means. You know that when you put your life in his hands, when you put your trust in the, in, into Jesus Christ, that all of a sudden the world which had been so unclear became clear. That your purpose and meaning and fulfillment in life all of a sudden became crystal clear. But for others who stand opposed to Jesus, all the light does is blind them further. And so you end up with these two sides. And you and I live in a world where these two sides are very present. So what in the world do you say? What in the world is this man supposed to say? Jesus has opened his eyes. And all it did was make the religious establishment angry. His neighbors are, trying to, are questioning whether or not it's really him, if it was some just elaborate magic trick. And his parents, they don't even want to get involved. So what in the world is this guy supposed to say? He says something here that is a great reminder to me, and I hope it is to you, of how we can always talk about Jesus, even in a world that's greatly divided. This is what he says. It's in verse 25. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't have all the answers to your theological questions. You want to ask me all these questions about who he is and where he comes from? I have no idea. Here's what happened to me. I was sitting by the temple begging. I could not see. And by the way, I haven't been able to see since the day that I was born. It's been my entire life this way. And so you can come to me and you can ask me all the theological questions you want. And you can have all of this information that you want me to verify. And you can ask me to ask all the, all the details that you think that I should know. But here's the thing. I have no idea about those things. I don't know about all of those things. I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know where he's from. Here's what I know, the man said. I was blind and begging by the side of the temple this morning. Now I can see. This man came and touched my life. Now I see. And there's really no other piece of evidence, I think, that this man could come up with that would be more powerful than this. 
If this man came to them and said, well, actually, I did my research. I don't know if you know about this. The man was born in Bethlehem. And he was in Bethlehem because there was a census taken. And so his father had to travel to the city of David, and he was born there. And then they escaped to Egypt for a while because Herod the Great was trying to kill all the young baby boys. And then they came back, and when he was about 30 years old, he started to do this stuff. And I think, you know, I've weighed all the evidence, and, and I kind of believe that this guy is real. That's all good evidence. It's all good to know. But the thing that no one can come against this guy on is his personal experience with Jesus Christ. No one can refute that. He knows that for his entire life he could not see. He met Jesus, and now he can. So you know what? It doesn't matter how many deep theological questions they can come up with. He has his experience with Christ, and that's the best evidence he has. I think that many of us, when we get into these conversations and things are going back and forth online and, and we have friends in the workplace and neighbors that have all sorts of things they want to say about church and religion and everything else, we stay silent because we feel like it's our job to somehow be Jesus' attorney, that he's next to us on the, on the table and we're supposed to stand up and somehow have all the information to defend everything that there is about this man. And I think there's a place for that sometimes. But you in your everyday life, are not required to be Jesus' attorney. God will stand up for himself. But you are required to be Jesus' witness. Your job is not to be his attorney, to know every last detail of every single argument that there is out there. Your job is not to be the best philosopher in the world. Your job is not to have all the answers to every last question everybody has. But your job is to be a witness to the work that Jesus has done in your life. Here's what I know about you. If you follow Jesus with your life, if you've had that moment where you have entrusted your life to him, then you have this story. You were once blind, and now you see. You were once lost, and now you are found. You were once a sinner, and now you are saved by grace. You have this experience of your life being transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. And every single time it is time for you to talk about Jesus, I can tell you I truly believe that your personal experience will always trump a bad argument. That when someone brings a question or an argument to you, that your personal experience with which no one can argue is always useful and always worth sharing. And I think this man sets a good example for us when people come calling and ask us all these questions. When our family members won't stand up for us. When our neighbors are confused about who we are and why we are the only people in the neighborhood leaving on Sunday morning to go somewhere. You don't have to have all the answers about Jesus. And none of us ever will. But you do have a story, if you follow Jesus, that is worth sharing and that is powerful. And you're not called to be Jesus' attorney, but you are called to be his witness. So my hope for all of us today is that we will take this man's example and that we will use it well. That you'll remember, that you will remember what Jesus has done for you and that you'll share that with those who ask. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And as we close, we're going to end this morning taking communion together. And I think that 
taking communion at the end of thinking about who Jesus is and what he did with this man who was born blind is an appropriate and worthwhile response. You know what the real difference between the man born blind and the Pharisees is here? The real difference between the man who was born blind, who had his eyes opened by Jesus and the Pharisees is that at the end of the day, the man was able to recognize his need and how Jesus met that need. And the Pharisees, these religious established people, felt like they had no need for Jesus in their life. They were in charge. They were an authority. And this man was just a nuisance, not someone who could solve their heart's deepest problems, not the Savior who had come. I remember in seventh grade, in seventh grade, the board had starting to get a little, start to get a little blurry, and I couldn't see quite as well as I had in the past. And I don't know how long it lasted before I finally went to the eye doctor, but it was certainly weeks or maybe months of the board getting more and more blurry and, and not being able to take notes like I used to. And finally, we went to the doctor, and I remember when I got my first pair of glasses. Now, let me recommend to you that seventh grade is an awesome time to get your first pair of glasses. Bring those things back to middle school and everyone's understanding and nice about it. It's wonderful. But I remember getting my first pair of glasses and those of you that wear glasses or contacts, you know what this is like. When your prescription gets off and you just get used to seeing the world fuzzy, you can function and you can last for quite a while. But it's not until you get that new prescription and you start going home and you look at the road signs and you look at the world around you and you realize, man, my eyes had gotten bad. You don't really realize how bad your vision had become until you see clearly. And then it might start to go down over the years and you go back to the eye doctor, they give you a new prescription and the same thing happens again. You just look at the world, you're, man, I cannot believe how bad my eyes had gotten. The same thing happens with Jesus Christ. We think we see the world clearly. We think we see things so clear. We think we understand everything, but it's not until you align yourself with the light of the world, turn and follow him, that all of a sudden you look at your life and the world around you and you see crystal clear for the first time who we really are and who God really is. So maybe you're a person sitting here this morning that knows you have a need that only Jesus Christ can meet. Maybe you're a person sitting here this morning who's never thought about that before. I'm gonna tell you that whatever need it is that you have, your deepest need is to be forgiven and to be reunited with the God who created you and loves you and only Jesus Christ can do that. The table that we're going to come to this morning represents that reality, that we were sinners, separated from God. But Jesus came, not just to be a good guy and say nice things, but to live on this earth, to die and be raised again, so that your eyes and my eyes might be truly opened. I'm gonna invite those who are helping to serve. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. 
and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.